<laughs> Welcome to Jason the Movie Nuts. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Paul McCoy. And I am Sean Hill. And we are continuing our look at the amazing films of David Lynch with a look at Blue Velvet and Dune. We talked about Dune before, but Dune is next in the list. And um, have you, and, have you and, and, and amazing and amazing isn't is a bit of an overstatement for this one. <laughs> have either of you seen Dune recently? Like just, since the last time we talked about it, just um, just this past week. I've okay. got a Blu-ray, a DVD, and the Metal Box DVD, and I watch <laughs> them periodically. I love all of them. I remember you loved it, right? And I, I hated it. it. I, I hated I it. it. I, I will admit that when I saw it in 1984, I went with my mom and my brother, and the three of us went to every science fiction movie of the 80s together and evaluated them all immediately. And both, all three of us were like, how could they have the plot of Star Wars and mess it up that bad? <laughs> right? It's just mm -hmm. a kid who's a gifted kid, who's a messiah, who leads a rebellion. This is an ABC plot. And David Lynch gets caught in all the David Lynch nonsense that distracts from the basis of the story. And I think I read the book in the 70s when I was like 11 or something. <laughs> so I had high hopes. But over the years, I've come over to the David Lynch approach. You know, I like that everybody's psychic and, and has a running inner monologue where they can hear each other's thoughts. I think Cal McLachlan is an amazing uh, sort of male ingenue in his role. And I just I just sort of look past the excessive corruption of the Harkonnens, you know, <laughs> beyond anything rational for, for villains. And 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 I pick up on one thing that he really nailed was the Bene Gesserit. I mean, that those bitches are scary as hell. And um Villeneuve just copied what he did. With Charlotte Rampling. He didn't add a thing to it. Uh, so I've come to love everything about it and I watch it, you know, as therapy now. <laughs> I got to watch it in the theater recently. Seattle's just very lucky that we made it as part of the Lynch Film Festival. And before the film, someone came up on stage uh, and they talked about the movie and they said basically, if you try and find a plot in this thing, you're going to be really unhappy with this. It's not a movie that's really about plot. Just admire it for the visual spectacle and the absolute weirdness of it and appreciate it for being this film that's just like, it's like this the ultimate, like throwing all your chips in the middle of the table and hoping they all land on <laughs> seven or something. And even though it's just like, by any rational measure, kind of a failure, it's still like so grand and so incredible like uh, maybe incredible is not the word fantastic in the classic sense of fantastic being the spectacle that just let it be the spectacle and don't worry about pulling all the pieces together yeah. and so <laughs> i watch it and instead of resisting the film i just let it kind of wash over me and from the time the faces come on the screen at the beginning to the time kyle rides the the worms i was just like grooving on just the visuals of it and like the the commitment everyone has to the to the gag in a way yeah i yeah. i 
I thoroughly did not enjoy it the last time that we talked about it. But and but the framework for that discussion was comparing it to the to the the new version and kind of talking about how it adapted the book and the story. And I, this time I tried to clear my head. I tried to, you know, put put, you know, that fear was the mind killer. I put it out. I I was like, OK, I want to look at this just as the next step in David Lynch's progression. Rather, not look at any of the outside stuff. Just look at it as his next movie after Elephant Man, and it was it was more enjoyable. I will admit, I didn't have as much bad to say about it. Although, as I look at my notes, the notes are all just bad things. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know how well I did, but I, I did enjoy it better this time. Until it got to those closing credits, and everybody does their picture pose credit at the end I was right. just like, oh, it's like it's like the love boat or something and so <laughs> i was just so up until that i was okay even though it would like I, I was still put off by a lot of it but i was able to accept a lot more than i did the last time you're coming over to the dark side paul slowly <laughs> but surely yay well <laughs> you know it, it's two things that should not go together right it's it's Raffaella De Laurentiis producing and David Lynch mm -hmm. and filming yeah. in Mexico, right? Where it was like boiling hot all the time. Right. And they're and, wearing rubber, rubber leather suits. It's crazy. Yeah. And the, like a De Laurentiis movie is supposed to be like Flash Gordon. It's supposed to be big and flashy and sparkly and everything covered in gold and, you know, various actors hamming it up or talentless actors just posing for the camera and lynch gets like these really good actors and takes it dreadfully seriously and and that aesthetic doesn't blend with the italian you know spaghetti western aesthetic but you, but but you know when it, it created sorry. this sort of beautiful monster anyway yeah, that's well, the the flash that you mentioned, the Flash Gordon is funny because that's what the one of the first things I said rewatching it this time was like, like with the effects, especially it was like I felt like I was watching Flash Gordon, only it was just it, it was just not camp enough and, and everything was too was so serious. But yeah. but the even even the performances were they were reminding me of things from Flash Gordon that just I was just. I, I was I was surprised and especially like the battles with the the bad blue screen stuff going on it was just it was just like the the Hawkmen flying in to to attack mm -hmm. Ming at the end they, they were basically the same it was like there was like four years difference between those movies and the effects hadn't improved at all but but I love them in Flash Gordon and here that always put me off but I, I was like I said I was more more open to it this time you know the book better than I do, Sean, but isn't it kind of in dialogue with like Flash Gordon and those sorts of serials? Like this is a deliberate attempt by Herbert to take some of those tropes and elevate them in his mind, right? Herbert? I mean, I, th I think of Dune as a... It's really an ecological novel. It's it, it, it's yeah. a product of the okay. 60s. So I, I think, and, and he's thinking about Right. Every the key word in the movie is jihad, jihad. It, it's really a, a critique of like uh, Muslim religious war. 
in a way. It's very political and very serious. And the gender war comes in with the with the witches versus everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I I don't I don't see the pulp I see the pulp elements as being there in the basic plot, but mm-hmm. I think most people think of it as kind of a hard SF novel, you know, not okay. a space opera. Okay. But none of that matters. None of that matters because this movie is not any of that. (laughs) This is is its whole whole own thing. Well, (laughs) once you bring in De Laurentiis, right? Like, like, you know, the special effects might not have improved, but um, it's because they have a thing they do. They have a spectacle that they're Mm -hmm. going for. They have an Italian sensibility that's all a certain kind of largesse. You know, it's, it's the taste level of Donald Trump. Cover everything yeah. in gold and everything is oh, better. I thought you were going to say so ketchup. True. <laughs> oh, say yeah. what? I thought you were going to say cover everything in ketchup, but gold, gold works <laughs> no, it's, everything's gold and shiny and Flash Gordon, right? All the armor is made out of gold, which is like completely not a protective metal when you need armor. It's too soft, but it looks so pretty. Leaving aside the fact they're barely dressed anyway, especially the Hawkman. Uh, the costumes like in Dune show that too. There's a little bit of Italian influence in the way the costumes are designed. They've got a little too much, a little too 80s, a little too puffy, a little just too 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 stylized, I guess. See, I I, I embraced that this time. I, okay. That's one of that. I, I kind of like and, that too. And the use of the models for the sets was was really nice. And the matte paintings, I I was totally into all of that this time. Uh, and but but another another reason why we can just throw Dune out the window of the book is because you know this completely ignores the progression of the novels, where you know uh, Kyle McLaughlin is not the Messiah. He's you know he's horrible and 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 but here he he is because Lynch didn't read anything else, and so at the end of that, this one he is. So he is a the white savior in this movie where he shouldn't be, but you know. It was going right. to be a franchise. It was going to be a franchise. So maybe he would have read the next the next book when they got started. Well, you know, Lynch, I mean, Lynch has said this is the last time he will ever relinquish control of Final Cut. He didn't yep. have it in his deal. Yeah. And he regret it's why he disavows the movie now. And it had a 217 minute maximum that couldn't go any longer than that because De, De Laurentiis had figured out that's how you can get the most showings in the day. Mm. I'd like to see and a 217 minute version of this. That's what this was. This was the 217. 217? Right. Three hours? Two, two hours and 17. Sorry. Two hours. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I misunderstood you. No, I wrote it down wrong. So <laughs> 137 minutes. Yeah. 137. Okay. Yeah. Because I was, that's. That's my biggest criticism. It feels like it needs another hour to kind of flesh things yeah. out. Well, he, yeah, I think he had that, but they had to cut it all down. Well, the thing that he does that he doesn't do that Villeneuve did is Villeneuve knew he needed two movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he still got flack for it, right? Like the the way the, the first movie ends, very in medias res. Mm-hmm. People are like, it's not a full movie. It's not a full story. And he's like, you know, and, and and you knew it was because there had to be a sequel. It's like but the new Spider-Verse movie. Yeah. Lynch tells the whole tells the whole first movie of Villeneuve 
and then has half an hour left for the second movie. <laughs> and yep. it's a mad rush and it doesn't make any sense and there's no emotional connection. Yeah, and and all the scenes are cut too too tight, too short. So they aren't allowed to breathe. They aren't allowed to to give those silences and those those idiosyncrasies that that make David Lynch movies right. know, his. Yeah. The so one thing you've got is staying in his shiny winged speedo yeah which was a last minute thing that was he he was gonna come out nude and the studio was like nope (laughs) make him a speedo (laughs) i say like did in a day repulsive as he is i really like baron harkonnen there's just something (laughs) about the pure evil destroying his him and you can see it reflected on his face and his body i just think there's something really clever about that Uh, i think that actor is very talented but yeah. Lynch like pushed him way out of the parameters. Yeah, he was in a different movie. He yeah. just said, "Scream every line," which is what he said to Sting too, apparently. <laughs> like, it's going to be very interesting to see um, that kid that played Elvis do Fade Ruatha in the new movie because mm-hmm. he's going to add a lot of nuances to it that Sting, you know, wasn't asked to do and probably wasn't capable of doing. Probably. I think we kind of, I think we should pivot to Blue Velvet because there's a lot there for us to talk about. Yeah, uh, I think it, I think Blue Velvet, I mean, the, the success of Blue Velvet over the years has just grown in appreciation. I just think it's a masterpiece. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that we realized. I watched it with my girlfriend and when we, when it was done, it was like, holy shit, that was still as disturbing and un- unnerving as it was the first time we saw it. It's just, yeah. He hasn't lost so, anything over the years. And the uh, way he sets it up is so beautiful. That opening five-minute montage with the school crossing guards and the flowers slowly waving in the breeze. It, it's so Lynchian, but so perfect. And I guess he was, he, there's an interview where he says, effectively, De Laurentiis produced this film and it's one of 20 movies they had on their slate. And it was by far the cheapest of the movies on their slate. So they just ignored it. And he mm-hmm. delivered it under budget and on time. So therefore, they just released it as it was. Yeah, that's why they gave him the cut, the final cut on it. They, they couldn't put it in the contract because and other people would want it. But they were like, you bring it in under and we, we'll, we'll let you do it. So yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. And and this that that opening sequence goes right back to what we were talking about last time about what is Lynchian. And it's that underlying sense of dread that something horrible could happen at any moment, even though it's this blue sky and red flowers and yellow flowers and the school bus, you know, the school crossing. At any moment, something terrible could happen and you just feel it. And and, and yeah, that, it's like the perfect opening. It, it, it couldn't get any better, and especially when it goes back to it at the end. It's wow. the perfect frame. Yeah. Although at the end, this is probably too early, but you got that that fake Robin at the end, where it's like, oh, I love it's, that. Yeah, but it's like the promise of the of of the future, the good things, but it's fake. It's and it's and it's and it's eaten that that bug, which is that back back to that underground, that subterranean horror that could be bulging up at any moment. So good. It's very clear that it's an artificial happy ending. Mm-hmm. It's like you've, yeah. you've gone through the levels of hell. You've been through all of this. But it this is a movie 
and we're going to give you a happy ending, mm-hmm. whether you believe it or not. It's very, I mean, this is every bad lesson that Lynch learned from Dune. He's like, it's not happening in Blue Velvet. I'm doing it all my way. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's arguably his best <laughs> film. It worked. It, he, his way was right. Yeah. I've been looking into uh, just in the past like week or two. <clears throat> for some reason, I've been bored at work, and so I've been looking up things like uh, what's what's post postmodernism. And over the past ten years, like the the big new movement, which really is kind of renaming things from before, but it's it's called meta meta modernism, and it's like taking the best of modernism and postmodernism and kind of kind of swinging back and forth between them. And it's like characterized by, um, oh, what is it? It's uh, informed naivete, pragmatic idealism, ironic sincerity. And this is, I mean, ironic sincerity is what this whole movie is. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it wants, it presents sincerely this, this emotion, this, this, this desire for a happy ending and, but it knows that there can't really be a happy ending, but we're going to go for it anyway. You know, and it's, it's just like the ideal it's this and like, um, uh, was it Paul Thomas Anderson? Is, is that who? No, not Paul Thomas Anderson. Who just did the, uh, uh, asteroid city or whatever that movie is. Oh, uh, the Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. That's who I mean. Yeah, he's, he's another. He's another characteristic that that is brought up a lot with this meta modern meta modernity, meta modernity movement, and it's like this oscillation from cynicism to idealism back and forth, but accepting them both, rather than like critiquing, because of this, you know, taking the cynicism from postmodernism modernism and critiquing the past. It's just. It's just weird that i just found this out like this this whole school of thought within the last couple of weeks when i get to see blue velvet again for the for the first time in years and it just it just summed it up i i like i like that thought that it's not a postmodern movie which is how it's always yeah. been talked about but that it's yeah. a, a meta modern movie yeah because it's I can not sort it's... of see it if i understand what you're saying i haven't heard of that term before yeah it, it's not cynical and it's not critiquing right uh the 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 genre it's trying to present uh you know an honest emotional experience that is sentimental but no sentimentality is kind of silly and undermines you know seriousness in contemporary the contemporary world but it's like you know what i'm still going to go ahead and be sincere and this is what I feel, and it's heartfelt, even though you, you kind of tell that he knows that it's 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 corrupted underneath. And it's I mean that I can't think of any better description of David Lynch movies than that. And like that that uh especially the um what was it I said, the uh informed naivete, you know. Well- I mean, you can see exactly that in the Sandy character, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's this scene that I show in, in my surrealism class over and over because it it strikes such an odd note, and it you know she's been supporting Jeffrey 
right? She's been watching him get draw, drawn into this criminal underworld. She knows he's suffering. I mean, he could be like a closet homosexual or a drug addict or somebody with some terrible secret, but she knows he's a good guy that she cares about. Mm -hmm. And she shares that story when they're both in their stakeout car outside of a church with stained glass windows. Exactly, exactly. Where she, he, she says, you know, I had this dream. And in mm -hmm. this dream, there's a robin and the robin is singing the most beautiful song. And you're like, this is the corniest shit I've ever heard. This is some naive girl. But it's but so it's sincere. Yeah, it's so it's Laura Dern. And she sells it like a like you could see like this is one of the moments where she's like she gets to do stuff with David Lynch. She doesn't get to do with any other director. Mm -hmm. And she takes you to this. You have this moment of clarity and you're like. Oh, yeah. So this is why he's in love with her. She's a special, special person. And it's how it should be. And then so he's going to go and do something horrible. Right. <laughs> Slap Dorothy around when she begs him to hit her. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Because he fought, he, he can't help himself. He is, mm. he's being pulled into the dark side. I mean, it's not for nothing. You know, Laura Dern's hair is blonde and Israel Rosalini's is black. You know, that classic white hat, black hat kind of thing. Yeah. Which David Lynch gets from Hitchcock directly. Mm -hmm. From Vertigo and other, you know, and the birds. Mm -hmm. Because Tippi Hedren is the virgin blonde and Suzanne Plachette is the experienced other woman. That's... Still one of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen. <laughs> what? The birds? The birds. The more I think about, the more it's like, horrifying. It's one the of more the classic yeah. horror movies. The fact that it's never explained why the birds go crazy just gets me every time. Like they're lurking there. Well, the movie came out 70 years ago or something. They're lurking there at the end on top of their cars, ready to attack whoever else comes around. Just it's just scary as shit. And I guess it's the same thing with Blue Velvet. It's like the, it's it, in some ways it's about the evil uh, that's lurking right underneath the surface that we all have this capacity for doing wrong and being, but also being what's the word misjudged for for our impulses. I'm not sure if that's the right word. I mean, Frank is truly just a nasty piece of work, but um, but he's so he's just feels everything so much like especially this like the the song and when he when he's just rubbing that that velvet while uh while Dor dorothy's singing and he's just crying because it's just so beautiful he just he I, I, that's 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 the one thing that i got from this viewing that i didn't get before was he wasn't just an evil psycho drug addict monster he's that way because he just everything is turned up to not even 11 15 20 he's just everything is so over the top with him even the beautiful moments and so he, it's like it's like ah oh. he reacts that way to dean stockwell's song too yeah exactly exactly he, yeah. he's very very moved he's kind of i i think he's sort of a metaphor for an artist He's an artist who only creates horrible things. <laughs> I'm a violence artist. Yeah. 
Did, did either of you? sensitive. And Dennis Hopper, you know, the 50s teen angst actor mm -hmm. is perfect to play him. Did either of you catch the moment before they arrive at Dean Stockwell's at Ben's place where they, you know, they pull up and it cuts to inside the apartment and Ben's hand goes up and he says, Frank's here. Like it's a yep. psychic premonition or something. Yes. Yeah. So, like, so like, like he can smell him from a mile away. Or, yeah. or, or this is like a little refuge, like the, like the, the black lodge kind of thing. This is a yeah. place outside where, yeah. But I mean, it's not literally, but it, it's almost like it feels like that. Like it's a test drive, a test drive well, for that. The non, the non player characters that are, at Ben's place, mm -hmm. right? The, the background, they're, they seem kind of lodge-like. Mm -hmm. They do. He's in touch with this other reality that isn't that white picket fence with the roses. Mm -hmm. It's a metaphor for the Black Lodge. Absolutely. Yeah. It's this I mean, not, not stated with so many words, but this otherworldly horror. It's, it's, that... and, it's, and it's a transgressive place where they can go. I mean, you know, a liminal space. I mean, the way yes, even the way yes, he composes liminal. those scenes, the scene at the house where everyone's kind of spread out in the different places in the room, something about the staging of that moment with everyone there just feels either really posed or really strange. I I can't really put my mind around it. Yeah, it you know is. It is like about? yeah, it, it's like the geometry of the place is just off. And even though it's just an apartment, it, it apparently is just an apartment, but it, it does just feel like someplace other. And of course, the same thing for the club where Dorothy's singing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the microphone is a, like a 40 style microphone. Of course, it's got the red drapes behind her, which has so much meaning in Lynch. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that uh, when when Ben is doing his song, his lip, his uh, lip sync that light that he's using for the microphone they were they they intended to have an actual old-timey microphone for him uh but they just found this industrial light hanging on the set and dean stockwell grabbed it and it's like lynch says nobody knows where that light came from it was just there when they started to shoot and so he grabbed that and so it's, it's i mean all of it is just so uh it goes back to what we were talking about, the transcendental meditation that he does, where he's pulling up images from his subconscious. And maybe, and and if, if you want to believe the hype, you know, all of our subconsciouses, it's you know, if he's, he's getting in touch with that underlying, uh, the underlying self that everybody shares at the, at the base. And that he's pulling up these images and figuring out ways of putting them together in in the story. He said that that the first draft of this, he had the he had the first he had a bunch of images put together, but it didn't make any sense, and it wasn't a real script, and nobody he nobody would who looked at it would do anything with it. And so he went back and then really worked it into a story. But that really is what it is. It's a it's a series of just startling images that. Yeah, maybe wouldn't normally well they wouldn't normally be in the same kind of story but he does he but by adopting that that noir narrative he's able to work all of that in and really transcend it all it's just uh, 
like you said, I think it's his best movie. I think it is just a masterpiece. Still haven't seen Mulholland Drive, so I can't say from that standpoint. But he really what? is using. I know. Well, we'll, we'll, we haven't I'll seen watch it. it yet. I've seen. That's the only Lynch movie I haven't seen. Actually, wow. I was I. I was almost thinking we need to do a Mulholland Drive episode just by itself because yeah, there's probably. so much to that movie. Probably. I've so. seen it. I've seen it probably five times, and I have a totally different reaction every time. I've seen it twice and didn't remember anything about the first time. It's so. it's one of those annoying Lynch approved DVDs where there are no scene breaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to watch the whole thing all the way through. Nice. Or fast forward on your own, which makes it really hard to use in class. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you've got the time, time, time just sit there and watch it. Why not? Yeah. It unfolds exactly as he wants it to. There's a hack with Criterion Channel where you can download movies sometimes and they'll stay in your device even after they leave the channel. Anyway, um, to your point about the visuals, um, I think what Lynch is great about one thing the things that makes Lynch so great is he's able to kind of create these visuals that work so well on a cinematic form too. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on TV, I mean, the, the way that all the episodes were, the composition of each of the scenes in this episode is too so deliberate around either creating this idea of innocence or creating this kind of distance between innocence and pain, whatever the composition, he's just able to really pull that out of the, the screen somehow. And he's a master at that because I mean, I'm looking at Google images and every image is like got this composition that's got this emotion built into it. And the angle of the camera is like emphasizing either isolation or confusion or innocence. Uh, there's just he's working with the the medium in a way that I think is so unique. Mm-hmm. No one has ever really quite imitate, imitated it in the same way. There's there's a really nice uh, example of that when uh, uh, it's it's toward the beginning after after uh, Kyle's found the the ear and he's going to go and and he says he's going to go take a walk around the neighborhood and he comes out of his room and it's a it's a lighted doorway at the top of this dark stairs and he comes out of the darkness out of the light and descends into the darkness where his family is. And then while he's out walking, Laura Dern, when she appears, <clears throat> excuse me, she talks, says something and then steps slowly, walks into the light out of the shadows. And it's like that right there in those two scenes is the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I was I, I was when I when that when that happened, I was just like, oh, my God, I felt like I'd been slapped. Mm. And it just it just hit me. It's. And and like you're like you said, it's like that every every scene through the movie is just put together perfectly. There's the it's scene like... where he's having breakfast with his mom and her friend, mm-hmm. and they're both in the corners, and he's in front of the window as if he's going to fall out the window into another world. And that you know, it's just a little tiny subtle thing, but the movie's full of thing moments like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's. it's... It may be perfect. I mean, the, the the light when he's looking through the slats in the in the closet door, 
just noir enough just just like bright enough on his eyes it's like it's almost like illuminating this secret world this world he's he's only not hasn't even imagined yeah the world of frank's abuse and he and he's he's getting it just as we're getting it you know Mm -hmm. we don't know what's about to happen and it's like he doesn't and we're in that closet with him it's just so fucking intense and scary Well, he's he's back in town because his father is ill, right? Right. He's who passed, who collapsed, watering the lawn at the beginning. His I, I never heart attack or something. Yeah, or, or stroke something. I I had never caught that before. I for some reason that that never connected with me. It was just so they were just random images at the beginning. He's having to go to the hospital. He he's disjointed. He doesn't know if his dad's going to survive. Mm-hmm. And in you know, he's he's not meant to be back in the town. He was out going to college or living his life or whatever he was doing. And he had this one trajectory. And now this call home disrupts yeah. all of that. Yeah, that random, cool. that random horrible event that, that yeah. throws him off kilter. And then the parents are so kind of passive and background in the movie. Right? His mother watches violent TV shows, but is the sweetest they're noir oh. films they're they're noir films yeah. i can't i can't find which films they are but they're yeah yeah there's guns going off and whatever and it's yeah. just on the little tv screen his dad is sick sandy's dad is the is the sheriff or whatever but he's so methodical and so businesslike like there's no emotion coming from him at all mm-hmm. he's just trying to solve the crimes and then the other cops we see are corrupted by Frank. <laughs> they're all, they're in on this whole drug scheme. So it's like it's just it's just like Twin Peaks in that way that there's this like surface of like diners and coffee and donuts, but underneath just as corrupt and deadly as any city uh, ghetto or or mafia subgroup. Yeah, but but even that even that drug scheme, you know, and all that is is just you know it's wispy, you know it 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 could be there maybe not it doesn't really even matter it's just a pretense to to stack these images up against mm-hmm. yeah hang hang the images on right true it's, yeah it's just but but it, and it works it works perfectly. And that's I mean, even at a different level, right? If, without the words, the when we, as comics guys, we know this too, right? Without the words, the images connect in a different way. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm coming back to the same point I just made. So to keep going, Paul. Sorry. Well, no, no. Oh, 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 I was going to say when the the well dressed man, Frank, you know, dressed up with a mustache and wig as the well dressed man. What the hell is that? You know, that doesn't. There's no reason for that. It's just this image of, you know, he wanted to get Dennis Hopper in this outfit as this other, you know, this alternative character. I mean, you know, as soon as you see him, it's somebody in a wig and a mustache. And if if you can stop it, I guess with the Blu-ray now, you can probably stop it and, you know, get in there and see that it's Dennis Hopper from the beginning. But I remember the first time seeing this and previous times, you know, it's like, you just it's just this weird little noir beat that you know has to be in there to fulfill that function of the story 
but it it it's really just this idea of the image it it's it doesn't really matter i mean why the only reason that we need to have frank in a wig and a mustache is so he can escape at the end and nobody knows that he's escaped yeah and that's it's it, it's not necessary it's just one of those weird things he, I, I swear lynch just maybe had a dream <laughs> where he saw uh dennis hopper in a wig and a mustache and was like we need to put that in the movie <laughs> You know, for any other film actor, I'd say, no, no, no. But with Lynch, mm-hmm. yeah, they're probably 100% right. Yeah. Well, it's it, it it's a, it's for one of his nefarious activities. Like, it, it, it's one of the things he does in this criminal enterprise is mm-hmm. apparently impersonate. He, he wants to hide his identity sometimes. So I can sort of see it fitting into, you know, we never get the whole narrative anyway, right? Yeah. That's, it's yeah. so wispy. Mm-hmm. So it's just another facet of his corruption or his 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 false face. Yeah, there's there's no exploration of it. It's just we're just presented with it. You know, we just see it like like Kyle McLaughlin does. What, I mean, what is his name? What is what is his character Jeffrey. name? Jeffrey. Okay. I Jeffrey. Jeffrey Beaumont. Ah, uh, yeah. Jeffrey Beautiful Mountain, another twin, a singular peak. <laughs> singular peak. Um, you wow. know, why why does the corrupt cop who gets shot in the head have to be electrocuted standing upright after he's dead? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of that scene? But I will never forget it. It's so odd. And Jeffrey just walks in on that scene, the murdered husband, right, who gets the worst deal of everybody in the movie. Oh, yeah and the the murdered cop and it's just this tableau that's like a Dwayne Hansen sculpture it's like what on earth are we looking at here and why yeah uh, it's 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 a dream image it's a dream image yeah okay yeah. I mean, Lynch would say to you I'm sure what do you think it is exactly it's just an <laughs> image that came to me you have to piece that together on your own yeah, uh, I, I so... love your point that you kind of mentioned in passing. Like there, there is plot here, but we're not kind of privy to the plot. We don't know what the what the criminal enterprise is all about because it's not what matters. What matters is what's on, you know, this left side of the story he's trying to tell, not trying to tell it. He is telling, and um, the the basic everyday activities of committing a crime are for normal filmmakers, mm-hmm. which is after kind of deeper things. Yeah, this is all about Frank and Dorothy, Frank controlling Dorothy, and everything else is like background to that, and and we don't need to worry about all that stuff. We don't even need to ever see the kid until the very end, you know. We don't need to see the 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 husband, the kidnapped husband, until he's gone, he's dead. It's all just about that dynamic and that that violence and that submission and what that does to both of them it's uh, uh. well we we do kind of get that that hitchcockian explanation from the sheriff a little bit at the at the end right mm-hmm. we yeah. get sort of a this is what happened and it was a to b to b and blah 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 but in that in in hitchcock movies the, those were modernist movies and the explanation was actually meant to explain everything. Mm-hmm. And in meta modern, 
we don't we don't even believe it it's like really that's what yeah. happened you can reduce yeah. it all to five sentences i don't think it's like, so it's like okay we we know that's not real <laughs> just, <laughs> but we just accept it for this so we can get to the point that we want to get to yeah that's that's meta modern i mean the most that happens that is conventional is that jeffrey kind of gets rewarded for exposing making the criminals vulnerable enough to get caught mm -hmm. yeah. like his his exploration into film noir ends up working out for him mostly because mm -hmm. he survives it and he saves dorothy sort of yeah well i mean she's she's happy at the end too with her kid and they have the happy scene together it's it's a happy ending for everybody but you know, after what she's been through, like years of therapy are going to be required. Exactly, like, exactly. Like she yeah, is I mean, post-traumatic stress syndrome personified. Yeah, that yeah, that's that's like the emotional, physical manifestation of that that opening sequence. Yeah, you know? it's this happy so this happy mirage where you know something weird is going to be coming up it could happen at any moment and then we just dive into the underground and into the bugs and the of the bugs and eat it but here we're going to end it here <laughs> we don't have to go to that other place this we is our choose to say yeah this is a, a happy point maybe mm -hmm. yeah but the the pain and horror is just going to continue because whatever was broken in dorothy to allow herself to be in that situation still going to be broken in her if it were real yeah but this is this is all a dream this is all a you know a phantasm that lynch has just strung together it's just beautiful it's a film you know <laughs> it's a it's a piece of art rather than reality and everything is is heightened it's just like I said, I think it's a masterpiece. I don't think there's a single flaw in this movie. This I I didn't even realize I felt that until watching it again. But it, it just may be one of my favorite movies of all time after watching it again. Because it really just hit me the same way it did the first time I watched it. Even though I knew everything that was coming, it still had that impact. Plus, it was sampled a lot of samples from in um, in Mr. Bungle songs. So, and that's one of my favorite <laughs> bands. So, that helps. And Paul, you know, you don't say that often or lightly. No, uh, no. In all of our podcasts, I can't think of that many movies where you've been like, "This is a perfect movie." Yeah, no, no. Maybe uh, you're you're kind of the most judgmental of we three. I think maybe Faster Pussycat Kill Kill might be. <laughs> we haven't done that. Jason oh, and I talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. That was a revelation. It made my top hundred list. That that's like a David Lynch film. <laughs> you know, we, 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 yeah. we talked about that. Jason and I talked about this months and months and months ago. On and, a podcast uh, without yeah. me? It was before we started doing our thing. Oh. Yeah. I should go back and find it. Yep. Yeah, okay. you should. It's a good one. But Faster Pussycat is like a David Lynch movie if Russ, if David Lynch was into big titties and cars uh, instead of whatever David Lynch is into. <laughs> Skin diseases and 
mutant babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's practically the, the same thing. Is that the other movie you'd call a perfect film, Paul? I think so. I like <laughs> I mean it's it's you know, the dialogue is stilted, the the deliveries are, you know, odd at times, but they're perfect for what they're doing. And it's it really is like a David Lynch movie where the whether they intended it or not, the the way lines are presented are just a little off kilter and it moves from it moves uh into this almost surreal alternate world on when they get to the to the farm the the deserted farm the desert wasteland but yeah that's a that's a whole other thing (laughs) but yeah there's not a lot that i think are that i would would say are almost perfect but yeah those are two of them two or three what else would you call perfect sean a perfect movie yeah um the Haunting, directed by Rob Robert Ooh, Wise. Yeah, that's that's that's, nice. that, that's a good. I movie. I watched that be. over and over. Um, the Piano by Jane Campion. Hmm. Actually, never seen that one. I loved I I I loved that movie when I saw it in the theater, and I've never stopped loving it. Hmm. Um, I I it's hard for me to pick a Hitchcock film, but I. I would say he's a perfect director. He's done so that. many amazing things. You know, I could watch all of his movies. I, I was thinking about that. And I finally chose Rear Window because of the level of difficulty he sets for himself. And how he's able to even make these people who never hear their, their voices into real people. Hmm. Like think about how well he shows Miss Lonely Hearts. He has a sense of who she is. Yeah, yeah. From a distance, just through her a window. Distance, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just think that's just it's such a hard achievement, but he does it so well, and you just never, you never feel like it's like he's imposing a vision on you. He's just like telling a story. I I never saw it all the way through until recently. I I saw bits and pieces on TV over the years, but we we had a Hitchcock uh, double feature recently at our our art house theater. And we went on one night and saw North by Northwest and on the second night and saw Rear Window. And they were, it was so great. Like we didn't, we didn't even, we paid twice. We didn't do the double feature. We overpaid, but we wanted to do just one of the movies each night. And, uh, you know, I guess I I would pick Notorious. Because I love Ingrid Bergman, right? Isabella Rossellini's mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, both have had great careers, but Lynch picked her because of of the Hitchcock connection (laughs) to be in this. And uh, the main, Ingrid in Notorious was a corrupted person who was a drunk and a flirt. And that's why she gets constricted to be an undercover agent. And her life is at risk. She almost dies. And Lynch takes us into a, a meta-modern elaboration on that <laughs> with Dorothy Valence. That's yeah. So yeah, I would say Notorious is a perfect film. See, y'all are making me feel dumb now. <laughs> you're you're, you're you like came up with, with our new cultural term. How can you be dumb? You you guys yeah, are right? coming up with, exactly. with like like brilliant films. 
and I'm so I'll throw my up, I'll, kill, I'll throw one none of us, in also. None of us have thumbs down on Faster Pussycat, by the way. <laughs> I love Faster Pussycat. I, I told you, I made my top it. 100 list. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, the to me the film that's flawless is Nashville, Robert Altman's Nashville. Uh, I got to see that in the theater last week. And um, I got to thinking about, we were just talking about like plot lines that, that you have to piece out from watching the movie, pull in the pieces to figure out what's happening. Yeah. Uh, I started thinking about the different characters' arcs in that film. And I realized there's like so much more like not just directly below the surface, but multiple levels below the surface of that movie hmm. and choices Altman makes that are legitimately like fascinatingly odd. And I just, I, I was just like so intrigued by that movie. The more I watch it, the more, the better it gets to me. Uh, and the performances are just incredible. Have you all seen Paris, Texas? Yeah. Once. That, that Once. could be up there. A beautiful sad that's, movie. It's one that's one that I, I haven't seen in a while, and I've only seen it a few times. But it's that that could be there. That could be up there. I would have to watch it again to really judge it like that. I didn't was... like it at, at the time as much as Wings of Desire, mm -hmm. but I've kind of gotten over Wings of Desire, and the, I, I haven't felt the need to revisit it. And I, I love Nastasia Kinski. I can understand that. I I, I love Wings Stanton. of Desire too. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton is what like what trans makes it transcend transcendent. Mm. He's just he's and he's a Lynch touchstone too. Exactly. He's he he made oh, man. Maybe he was perfect too. <laughs> I don't know. He was perfect in the choice. return when we get to the return. Mm -hmm. He was his last in, work. He was, he's been he's perfect in everything I've ever seen him in. Yeah, Repo Man. Ah, uh, yeah. I almost want to say that's a perfect film too for me. <laughs> I understand, and that, that I, I maybe maybe just be saying that my favorite films are perfect, and <laughs> I, have no, I, I have no actual critical, you know. Uh, yeah. We, what does that even mean to say it's perfect? Like you gotta love it to say it's perfect, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. guess. I guess. Yeah. Well, then from dusk till dawn is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's entertaining. That's a movie, yeah. That's a that's yeah. a three-star movie for me. Uh I can watch that anytime. I mean, anytime. I like, yeah, it. like I, I would never say like it's a mad, 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 mad world is perfect, but I can watch that. I throw it throw in a random 30 minutes of it and I just be blissing out. <laughs> yeah, or almost any uh any Sergio Leone film would probably oh, yeah. I actually be... think Once Upon a Time in the West is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. I mean that that whole opening sequence itself is just one of the best ever. I love we're staying away from Scorsese and Coppola completely. Good for us. <laughs> <laughs> those are too obvious yeah well i mean yeah i mean goodfellas is a great movie but uh it was a godfather but there's more <laughs> out there yeah i only my own my favorite scorsese movie is after hours that's a good one mine's probably uh last temptation of christ that what, what was that phrase you used for meta modern Sin sincere uh satire, what was it ironic sincerity ironic sincerity that's after hours has yeah. has a bunch of that 
yeah Griffin can do that yeah pragmatic idealism that's that's probably what sums up blue velvet the most Mm. it's idealist but it knows that you know that's really an it's 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 not real it's ideal we can we can't get to it but we want to keep trying to get to it yeah and and it's very aware of media like it knows that we try to get to it on tv Mm -hmm. and in songs and various places but none of those things are really true and, it's and just in, a facade that we convince ourselves of. And in love, you know? What's he saying about, about love? You're I just threw very, that out there. You're a very <laughs> special <laughs> girl, Sandy. Yeah. You're but, a very special girl. There's There's that touch of violence. There's that thrill of the the forbidden. There's the transgression. Wait, when he, him sneaking into her house, into her apartment when she's not there. That's just that's a that's basically uh, almost a a rape. It's a violation of her of her experience. She doesn't even know who he is. He snuck into her house as a bug. Uh, uh, bug guy you know as, as bill smith from, right uh, and and just so he could try to sneak into her apartment later and and he, the way he's in tran- he's entranced with her singing too just like uh frank is mm-hmm. it's it's yeah there's something going on there too him he and frank are kind of like maybe he he could be a proto frank maybe Maybe that's some of the implication there. He could have grown into Frank. There's a peeping Tom side to him. Yeah. That movie peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. Where the camera is the killer, right? The spike right. on the tripod. Is right, the right. But he, oh, but maybe Frank didn't have uh, um, Laura Dern. <laughs> right. <laughs> to kind of give him a, a beacon to kind of right. go toward. Or I'm talking out of my ass again. No, that's the beauty of Lynch. Is you can't <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's there. And, and that brunette and blonde kind of doubling mm-hmm. mirror image, that's, yeah. that's, that's definitely a subtext that, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. prevalent. That means something. And, I and, think the... you know, and Lynch always has his, his, his muses on stage who take us to another place. Right, right. Whether it's Julie Cruz or any of the musical acts invited to close out the return episodes, mm-hmm. or um, Dorothy here, like like that stage time is is yet another reality that isn't quite in any real world. It's a world of or, imagination, or the girl from another place in Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. I, I just just it just hit me when you're talking about that how even Dorothy isn't she's not presenting herself she's wearing the wig and the makeup to present a character like Frank does with his wig and makeup as a mm-hmm. different character mm-hmm. but uh yeah there's something going on there with with that that's yeah you know, 
that beautiful facade and there's something corrupted underneath. It all goes back to that. It's it's just everywhere. This is just like I said, it's just a masterpiece. It's like it's like he it's like he took every scene and was able to work the themes of the entire film into every scene. It's just amazing. It's kind of what's the word? Not recursive, but it it consumes itself in a way. It's fractal. Yes, it's fractal. Yeah. It really is. Each piece contains the the, the entire DNA of the object. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a strange a, world. It's a really <laughs> interesting insight. Yeah, it, it the world's a strange place. It's a strange mm-hmm. world. <laughs> That's what people say in a conversation when they don't know what to say next. <laughs> Isn't it strange? Sounds, yeah. It's very open-ended. There's also, a, 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 as far as like phrases that come back to me from this movie, when Dorothy is traumatized at the end and she's, yeah, the whole, he put his disease in me repeated over and over is mm-hmm. just mind boggling. That's that. It's just, that's that's sex for her she's it's you know she's so traumatized so broken that any kind of act of intimacy is is you know violent and and, and diseased and corrupting violating too mm-hmm. uh, and, and and the fact that she wears that disc you know the, the makeup and the hair when she's performing and she only takes it off when she's alone the final scene with her with her boy She's got the wig and the makeup on there too. So that's another like little subtle sign that she's still not, you know, it's a happy ending, but she's still pretending. She's still playing that part. That that just just that just struck me. It's just <laughs> and that, that gets the it's the same thing with history too. I was thinking about Ingrid Bergman's life, and she was basically pushed out of Hollywood because she was having a affair with or she had a baby. With uh, what's his name? Marcelo Mars. Uh, what was Rossellini's first name? Sorry, she was having an affair with with the director Rossellini, and uh, she was exiled from Hollywood. So, um, Isabella is kind of an exiled baby. She's always had this kind of thing hanging over her head of, uh, Hollywood rejected her in a way, hmm. or rejected her mom because of her, and so there's this interesting kind of generational thing. I loved you pulling in Notorious a, a bit ago, Sean. Because that gives a whole other context to this. That really does, yeah. I'd never even thought of that. Roberto Rossellini. Roberto yeah, yeah, Rossellini, yeah. yeah. Um, well, they she eventually won them back. You know, it took a decade or two. But she <laughs> did get her Oscar later in life. Yeah. But and, do you know uh, Isabella was carrying that, too? She was pregnant with Isabella, I think. That's... I can double check my facts, so I'm not talking out of my ass, I suppose. Yeah, the fact that he was a married man and she was having an affair was in the it was in the 1950s. So it was frowned upon. Even though, (laughs) again, just like Blue Velvet, these things are frowned upon in the main the, the surface level, but they're going on. These things are happening. Right. She was too open about it, too, too out there. Too much of a free spirit. 
she wouldn't yeah. fit what Hollywood wanted her to be. So this is interesting. I was just another thing about identity and masks. And, just like and like Lynch. Yeah. That was one of the most most amazing things about this rewatch was doing Dune and Blue Velvet back to back just to see the the drastic, you know, fracture between the two. I, I wouldn't even think that Dune was done by the same director who did Blue Velvet if I didn't know. Mm-hmm. It's just I mean, I mean you got the, the little dream segments and little little bits here and there in Dune that are that are pure Lynch, but but man, it's just so it's so not it's so unnatural for him. It's like Elephant Man was a step toward that, but it was kept at a at a maybe at a at a distance, but doing even the black and white and the the Victorian setting and all that. So he could, he was able to like not to able to able to still put his thing in there, his his feel in there, but not overwhelm it. And then Dune is just like out of control. You know, it's just nothing nothing in it is natural to to the Lynch. Except, like I said, except for little, you get little glimpses here and there. The dreamer awakes, that, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, but, it's, the, it's the only full, like, science fiction movie, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. spaceships, alien worlds. Exactly. Yeah, all it's, the it's, rest it's, of his movies take place in, like, somebody's apartment. Yeah, they're all internal. They're all, you know, vis- viscerally. Or suburban human. houses. You know, the setting is as mundane as ever. Exactly. Yet all this creepy stuff is happening. Yeah, that's that's the point. You know, that's the point of his his whole, I don't know, his whole uh, vision, his whole career is you is to take the mundane, those ordinary things, you know, fears of fatherhood suddenly finding out you're going to be a father and it's a it's a horrible situation uh you know and eraser head in, in elephant man you know it's it's that mundane this this guy is just disease and they're they're trying to figure out how to fix him blue velvet you know it's like you said it's just like we've said it's just this uh you know suburban paradise but what's horrible lurking underneath and dune is just it's just ah, it's we're in space where we shoot laser we've got worms that shoot lasers out their butts and transport us across the galaxy and what you know he's trying for something yeah. that's just not him yeah yeah, yeah he, i mean, he, made, I mean yeah. he does a good job with the with this you know making the spaceships weird yeah yeah right and 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 making that he creates a believable world on that level and right. and every world is distinctly stylized and vi- and you know visualized. Yeah, but none of it, none of it. But it's really... not. It's not his. It's not film noir. It's not. Yeah, it's not it, him. It's not really him. Yeah, it, it's it's maybe his most ambitious attempt, and it and it failed. The fact that he turned down Return of the Jedi to do this is just stunning oh. to me. I mean, I, I can't imagine the world where David Lynch directed Return of the Jedi. Yeah. What the hell? What would the yeah. Ewoks be doing? What yeah, the I hell? Imagine him doing a Star Wars or a Star Trek episode or... Oh. 
I mean, I mean, he, he, I, was, I mean, I, it's a weird way an alien, an alien movie. That would be interesting. I, I, I think he could probably do that because that's something submerged coming, coming to. If if he and Ridley Scott could get along long enough to finish it, <laughs> I'd love to see someone meme that like they would meme the Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the reason he turned down Return of the Jedi was he didn't like science fiction. And he told George Lucas, he was like, this is your thing, George. You know, it's not my thing. And so the fact that the, he then took on Dune, did he think that he was going to make his, that he was going to make it his thing and make it make his Star Wars? I don't even know. I don't even, ha- I can't even imagine him thinking something like that. Yeah. Or caring. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I can see him caring because at that time he's still young. You know, that's his third movie, and his first movie took what almost a decade to, to get made, and his second movie got Academy Award nominations. You know, the sky's the limit; he can do anything, right? Maybe even he's true. Even though he's played with played with, you know, anxiety. maybe he needed that failure in order to have his feature success too. I think he may really have had to. Maybe he read the book at some point and liked the book, you know. He I didn't. Know. He hadn't he hadn't read it. He thought he hadn't he, read Dune. No. When they offered it to him, he thought they said June. He was like, June, we're gonna make a movie of about a month. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, No, Dune. And he got the book and read it and then, you know, like did a version of a screenplay that had had multiple drafts beforehand. Uh yeah, it's just a crazy story. I can't imagine. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, did, he know, did he know about the Jodorowsky? I don't the think. long attempt to make the movie? I don't think he did until maybe maybe once he got started on it. I haven't heard anything about that. But I mean, but I mean, he he didn't know what it, he had no idea what it was. But turned down Return of the Jedi and then said yes to this. It's just a it's just a puzzler. It's like maybe he was young enough and, you know, kind of hungry enough to say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to, if I, if I make it. this blockbuster, I can then do whatever I want for the rest of my life. And he did. It's, that's exactly how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic, right? The success ended up making him, or failure made, ended up making him a success. It really did. Yeah. Because he really figured out what he wanted to do from that point on. Mm-hmm. And everything from that was. point on is is just what he wants to do. I mean, he hasn't again made a money for for any purpose other a movie for any purpose other than he wanted to make that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good way to good place to stop, I think. Yeah. Genius, genius. I, you, Paul, you persuaded me too. He, he, uh, he had to fail in order to become a genius. Sometimes we need those setbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Then you know what you don't want to do. You know what you you can't put up with anymore. But he okay. did continue to develop that that idea of like the the. The company of actors, mm-hmm. yeah, like he he had a lot of connections to pull from. You know, mm-hmm. he 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 carried over Kyle from the failed movie to the successful movie. 
into Twin Peaks that comes up next. Into Twin Peaks, he had he had a an analog for himself that that he knew was was endlessly manipulable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I would say like Justin Theroux is kind of that for Mulholland Drive, and. Laura Dern is kind of a different side of things for Inland Empire. And the return. And the return, right. The re- return, we right. get the couple. Diane never existed on camera until Laura was available to play her. Mm-hmm. That's a that's that's another crazy dynamic that we're going to have to come back to when we get oh, to there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And, and the fact that he took most of his main characters from Dune. Yeah, he carried over actors from Dune into into Blue Velvet, right? Not just Colin yes. Laughlin, but uh, 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 Dean Stockwell in particular. Can't wait to rewatch the, uh, Twin Peaks again. Well, and <laughs> and Eraserhead was in every movie. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I always thought it was funny that, that the big bad and one of the big bads in Dune was Bluto from Popeye. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was making me laugh every time he walked on the st- on the screen this time. But yeah, never mind. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh cool. Thank you. This is amazing. As always. 